This is Novel Marketing, the show for novelists who aren't necessarily fond of marketing, but still want to become best-selling authors. This is episode 111. I'm James L. Rubart, but call me Jim. I'm Thomas Umstadt, Jr. And in this episode, we're going to talk to you about back cover copy. So really, the question we have to ask folks, Thomas, is does a book cover sell a book? Well, it doesn't. It doesn't. Not usually. Most of the times, a book cover sells you on the idea of reading the back cover copy, or if you're on Amazon or online, that description that's on the page. That's where the real selling takes place. So how do you write compelling back cover copy? That's what we're going to explore today in today's episode. So Thomas, let me ask you, Do you is that what sells you on a book? Is it the back cover copy? Is it the cover? Is it a combination? Probably half the time it's the back cover, and the other half of the time it's reviews, either from my friends or from people I trust, uh, or the aggregate of reviews online. <laughs> so okay, so it, you'll you'll read the reviews. Um, so it's a combination of those things, right? But if I typically won't read the reviews if the back cover copy has not caught my attention. So if I'm bored by the back cover copy, uh, you've lost me. <laughs> you, you've lost the chance to sell me your book. Okay, so for you, it sounds like you're a lot like me. I'll look at the cover, and if I see it looks, wow, this looks like uh, somebody <laughs> did it who does not have graphic design experience like we've we've talked about in the previous episode, two episodes back, then if it looks good, you'll go to the back cover copy, you'll read the back cover copy, then you'll take a look at some reviews, and that's kind of your, your process? That's right. And and for me, I don't read paper books, so it all happens online. So when we say back cover copy, uh, this is the text that goes next to your book photo on Audible or on Amazon.com. It's the paragraph of text that describes why people should read your book. Okay. Well, you and I are the same. I look at that cover, then I read the, the back cover copy or the description online, and then I'll go and take a look at, I never really actually read the five-star and four-star reviews. I go to the one-star immediately because I want to see what the criticisms are. And at that point, I make the decision. So I guess we're we're both saying the same thing, that back cover copy or the description online is absolutely critical in selling your book. So our advice to you is do not gloss over this. Spend the money to make this right because this is really the key component in getting somebody to buy your book. That's right. So Jim, what do we do? How does somebody have better uh, back cover copy? What, what are the copywriting secrets of James L. Rubart? Well, this is this is actually hard, Thomas, for me. As 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 we were putting together this episode, it, it was kind of like this is something I've been doing for twenty five years. So it's one of those things where it comes so naturally, you don't really think about it, or you don't think that much about your process. So I had to really think and drill down and go, okay, what do I do when I'm writing back cover copy for other authors or writing my own back cover copy? And so this these are the things that I realized that I do instinctually, and it's things that our listeners can do as well. So let's just kind of go through those those points. First of all, what is back cover copy? We talked about it, but it, it is the sales pitch. It is really the ad for your book. If, if we were talking in movie terms, it is the trailer for your book. It's also the starting point for the other advertising that you're doing. So if you are going to do Amazon ads or Goodreads ads, the text for those ads is going to come from your back cover copy. So this thinking that you're doing doesn't just affect this one part of your marketing. It affects everything. If someone were to do a magazine ad for your book, the first place they would start to build that ad is the copy on the back of your book. 
That's a great point. They're going to use this or even other people who love your book are going to use this sometimes to advertise your book for you. So it becomes the resource. It becomes the hub for all of your other advertising. First thing when you're thinking about back cover copy is, is shorter is better. To get specific, really you want your back cover copy to come in somewhere around 140, 170 words. Now, if you can do it in five words and that'll sell the book, great. But usually it takes a few more words than that. But once you get up to 170 or or moving, inching towards 200 words, it's simply getting too long. And this is the biggest mistake I see most of the times when I'm working with other authors on their back cover copy. They want to get the whole book in there and they want 300 words on the back cover. You just can't put that much in. You can't put that much in your Amazon description or your Barnes & Noble description online because people will just stop reading. Yeah, and and really, at the first few words of that copy are the most important because each each sentence has to sell the next sentence, so to speak, and make someone even more curious. That's exactly right. It it this is not the time to have a dull sentence. This is the time for every word to be carefully looked at and how those words interact with other words. The other thing back cover copy does is it sets the mood. You want to match the voice of the back cover copy with the voice of the book. If it's a thriller, you need to write in a thriller mode. If it's a romance, you're going to write in a romance voice on that back cover copy. Again, think about a movie trailer. A romance movie trailer is gonna be very different feel than a thriller or an adventure or a sci-fi trailer. So what mood do you wanna set? It needs to match the mood of your book. And if you're, for those of you writing nonfiction, uh, it still needs to match the voice of your book. So if you're like, you know, very brash and brazen in your writing, you want to be brash and brazen in the back cover. So you're making a promise ultimately with that text, and then it, you have to deliver on that promise. So you want to make the right promise that resonates with readers, and then you have to deliver on the promise in the core of the book. That's really good, Thomas. The next thing you need to think about is that you are fishing. You are fishing for readers, and you don't want to put every worm on the hook. You want to get the fish to bite. You don't want to get them so full that they leave. And in other words, you give away enough, but not too much. And there's a fine line between that. There's a debate going on right now about the Star Wars movie coming out. Oh my gosh, they told too much. And I've refused to watch the trailer. I don't, I don't need, in that case, I'm going to go to the movie. I don't need uh, you even to do a trailer for me. But in the case of your book, you do need to do a trailer. You do need to show those people enough that they go, oh my gosh, I have to open up this cover and at least read in on Amazon or physically, you can do that. I need to go a little bit further into this. Or as Thomas and I were saying, we want to be pushed down to the reviews. It's hooked us enough that we want to jump into those reviews. So you want to tell enough, but not too much. Another way to think of this is you're dating your potential reader. So the front of your book, the front cover is your first date. And if you had a good impression, you get asked to a second date, which is them reading the back of your book. That is still not them proposing to marry you. <laughs> so the next step, date number three, is reading the first sentence and starting to read your book. And if they're still there on page two or three in the bookstore, or if they've gotten to the end of the Kindle Instant Preview and they still want to know what happens next, then they're ready to propose. And so you don't want to say everything in the second date. You want to leave them wanting more so that they'll then go on to start reading your book. That's exactly right. 
That's exactly right. The next point we want to talk to you about is don't bury the lead. I was working the other day with an author on on his back cover copy, and and what we realized is he buried a very cool lead. This was actually a nonfiction book, and we pulled the lead out, and all of a sudden the the back cover copy took on so much more excitement. So the question to ask yourself is what is the headline? What is the hook? This is when we're talking about high concept. What is the what if question that your novel is asking? For example, my first novel, Rooms, and this is the headline uh, on the back cover copy. What would you find if you walked into the room of your soul? One man is about to find out. So we literally ask the what if question that is the core of the book. What would you find if you walked into the room of your soul? One man is about to find out. That's the headline. That's hopefully somebody goes, oh, I got to read a little bit more. For my uh, third novel, The Chair, the question there was, what if you were given an ancient looking chair and told Jesus Christ made it? Would you believe them? Again, we're trying to have a headline that hooks people and makes them go, oh, that's interesting. I have to read the next line. Yeah, that's really good. And again, there's no way for you to really know if you've succeeded or not. You're going to have to get an outside perspective. <laughs> so it's it's easy to see when someone else has got it, but it's hard to because you're too inside your own story to know if you've got the right hook, you know, for the fish. So one thing you may want to consider is you know not just having your beta readers look at your story, but also have your beta readers look at your hook and, and like save some people who haven't read your book to read the back cover copy to tell you is this you know catching at my attention? Where are you getting bored? That sort of thing. I want to just repeat that, Thomas, just to emphasize that that is such great advice. We're good at giving our stories to beta readers to read the story, but the back co- they're never going to get to the, the potential readers are never going to get to the story unless that back cover copy sings. So do save trusted people that know nothing about your book. Give them the back cover copy and go, did you get it? What did you, what impressions did you get out of this? Is this something you want to read now? Get those opinions cold because that's how the majority of your readers are going to approach your story. The next step after setting the hook with the what if question is you introduce a little bit of backstory or context. This is the who, the where, the when. But we want to get to the conflict, which is the what, quickly. The what is really the driving force of your story. The why and the how are the interesting details that should only be hinted at. In other words, we're not trying to tell the entire story with the back cover copy. We're not trying to tell the story really at all. What we're trying to do is intrigue readers with the what that the story is. So is your hero seeking freedom? Are they seeking power? Are they seeking a claim? Are they going to sacrifice? What thirst will you satiate for your readers with your story but first satiate with your back cover copy. A great way to, a real great way to practice this is uh, take the last novel that you wrote, read, and write some back cover copy for it. And then go and compare what you wrote to what they have on Amazon (laughs) to see if you're able to, especially if it's a traditionally published book and they had their back cover copy written by a professional, uh, this is a really great way to kind of practice and kind of score uh, your copy writing skills to see if you were able to find that core essence of the story or the what that point of conflict that um, then drives um, people to want to learn more. 
But that is a great exercise, Thomas. I love that. You could actually become fairly skilled just doing that. If you're writing back cover copy for books you've read, that will teach you a great deal when you approach your own back cover copy. I love that. Um, so a, a couple of other things you're going to do in your back cover copy. And then we're going to give you an example because this is all theory. Um, and, and it would be good to give you some specific examples of back cover copy and where the what, wow, when, why were placed in that copy. You're going to name the main characters. You want to let us know who this person is, who the hero of the story is. And if you can set their age or give an approximation of what their age is, that's going to tell your reader a lot. Then what we call the invitation. What is, what are you inviting them into? What's the story or the adventure that you're inviting your readers into and then finally, the twist. There's always going to be a twist in good back cover copy that makes you go, oh, oh, now i got to at least read the first uh, introductory paragraph or sentence. So this is an example from my first novel, Rooms, which I already mentioned. So the headline, as you already know, is what would you find if you walked into the rooms of your soul? One man is about to find out. Now here's the back cover copy after the headline. It was, a, it was just a letter. Cryptic. Yes, absolutely. But Seattle software tycoon Micah Taylor, this is who, and this is characterization. Now we know the name of the hero, and we understand that he's a software tycoon. So we understand the industries he's in. That gives us a little bit of context. Also, we know he's a Seattle software tycoon. So now we have setting. We're grounded somewhere. And we know his age, approximately, right? He's not a teenager, and he's probably not an old man. He's probably not. We, that's exactly right, Thomas. We have a feeling for we're probably going to go, uh, you know, tech, software. He's probably anywhere from mid-20s. Maybe he's as old as mid-40s. But he's definitely not a teenager, like you say, and he's definitely not an old man. But Seattle software tycoon Micah Taylor can't get it out of his mind. The claim that a home was built for him by a great uncle he never knew. So here's our invitation, right? Mike is being invited to find this home that was given to him by a great uncle. And as a reader, we're invited into that as well. The claim that a home was built for him by a great uncle he never knew on the Oregon coast in Cannon Beach. Here's our where. Okay, now we know where this adventure is going to take place. The one place he loves, the one place he never wants to see again. This is backstory. Now we're getting a little bit of the backstory on we don't know why he hates the place. We don't know why he loves the place, but we've got some backstory that ties into his motivations or his fears or his hesitations. Micah goes to Cannon Beach intending to sell the home and keep his past buried, but the 9,000 square foot home instantly feels like it's part of him. Again, now we have a what. What is going on? Why does he feel like it's part of him? Next, then he meets Sarah Sabin at the local ice cream shop. Major character, named, introduced. Now we're intrigued by the relationship that could or could not happen between Micah and Sarah. Maybe Cannon Beach can be the perfect weekend getaway. Again, we've said age. Not that people middle age or older can have romance, but typically in novels, somebody that's having a romance is going to be you know, in that uh, 20s to 30s age range. But strange things start happening in the house. Again, that's a what. Things Micah can't explain. Things he can barely believe. All the locals will say is the house is spiritual. Again, that's a what. How is the house spiritual? We're not sure. We're intrigued to find out. 
unsettling since Micah's faith slipped away like the tide years ago. Now we're giving a little bit more backstory. That's intriguing to us. And then finally, and then he discovers the shocking truth. The home isn't just spiritual. It's a physical manifestation of his soul. Boom. That is the twist where we go, oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. It's it that the home is his soul. Yeah, he's walking into the rooms of his own soul. Boom, we're done. And at that point, we hope the reader is intrigued enough to want to go deeper. That's really good. Can you give us a, one more example from another book? Yeah, here's here's an example from a book that sold a few copies, and I'm not going to tell you the name of it. I think you'll figure it out pretty quick. Till now, there's been no magic for Harry Potter. Okay, what has been done in that very short sentence? Number one, it's backstory, no magic up until this point. And what a hook. What do you mean there's no magic? You mean there's going to be magic? There's probably going to be magic. What kind of magic? So we're already, we've already gotten some backstory and we're already hooked. He lives with the miserable Dursleys and their abominable son, Dudley. Now this tells us immediately what, Thomas? Gives us a sense of his age. Again, it doesn't tell us exactly he's six years old, but he's probably a young man, you know, living with his family. He's not going to be in his 40s, most likely. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's Nowadays, exactly that right. happens more, more than it used to. But <laughs> typically in to. fiction, if you're, the, if you're a hero, you're not still living with your parents. Or if you are, it's very obvious. You would say he's still living with his miserable uh, aunt and uncle. But it doesn't say that. It says he lives <laughs> with his aunt, uh, miserable uh, Dursleys. Exactly. Then the back cover copy goes on to say, Harry's room is a tiny closet beneath the stairs. So we have backstory and we have context now. Now we can imagine this, this little boy living in a closet. Oh my gosh, we have compassion for him. And then it says, and he hasn't had a birthday party in 11 years. Oh my gosh, now we have massive compassion for this kid. We now know specifically how old he is. He's 11 years old. So that gives us backstory and age. And then the copy continues on. But then a mysterious letter arrives by Owl Messenger invitation, a letter with an invitation to an incredible place called Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Here's our what. Oh, okay. Now we're intrigued. What is this? How does Harry get there? And they have you and they have you now already. So I'm already sold on this book. Uh, you know, they've, I mean, they, they keep layering the interest, making me more and more interested, but they still have two more sentences to like set the knife and then twist it. So keep going. <laughs> That's right. And there, referring to Hogwarts school of witchcraft and wizard wizardry. And there he finds not only friends flying sports on broomsticks and magic and everything from classes to meals, but a great destiny that's been waiting for him. So now you're like, Oh my gosh. So he's finally going to get friends, finally going to get people that come around him. Finally, he's going to be seen for who he is and drawn out into this, this great destiny. But then waiting for him. If Harry can survive the encounter, Boom. And there's your twist. What do you mean survive? I thought he was going to go to this great place and make friends and step into his destiny. And then suddenly there's this twist. Oh my gosh, something or someone is after him. And we at that point are hooked. Now notice how they don't introduce Hermione or any of the other characters. This is very, very focused just on Harry Potter, which is key. 
you know, remember, this is only the second date. It's not introducing all of the other characters. It's just introducing Harry and giving you just enough to make you curious. Also, this doesn't take you much past, what, chapter one, chapter two? I don't, I don't, I, I don't know how early into the book he gets to uh, his wizarding school, but you, you know, very quickly, you're past the back cover copy and you have no idea what's going to happen next. Uh, this is very well written, that copy, which uh, probably helped contribute to the uh, millions and millions of sales <laughs> that this book led to. I would think so. I would think so. So a few, a simple way, th- this is how I think about back cover copy, and it might help you as well. You're really introducing, you, you have three three acts, so to say. You have the high concept, the what if, the question, um, the heart of the story which we've gone through with two examples here, and then the payoff. And the payoff is really that twist of, oh my gosh, I got to find out more about it. Again, the high concept, the heart of the story, the payoff. That might help you as you're writing your own back cover copy. And take some books in your genre and take the back cover copy and do what we just did on this episode. At the end of each sentence, Describe in parentheses, and we'll have it on Novel Marketing. You can, we'll have both of these back cover copies with the what, backstory, who um, kind of breakdown. You can find that at novelmarketing.com slash 111 uh, for the show notes for episode 111. Uh, but do, So if you're writing romance, we don't have an example here, and we don't have time in this episode to do an example for every single genre. But go to some of the best-selling books in your genre, take their back cover copies, and break them down and figure out exactly what they're doing and how they're selling it and what the high concepts are, what is the heart of the story, and then what is the payoff that they're promising. A few more tips before we let you guys go. Um, And and one of the questions is to hire someone or not hire someone. Back cover copy is something that takes years and years and years to learn to do. I'm not saying you can't do it. And Thomas isn't saying you can't learn to do it. You can learn to do it. And even if you don't, do it all yourself. If you hire someone to assist, what Thomas is suggesting and what we're suggesting is still worthwhile. The better you understand it, the better you can critique someone that potentially you've hired to do back cover copy. As Thomas just mentioned, um, read back cover copy in the genres you're writing in. Read, 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 read. So it's, it's, you know, don't gloss over that. Take time to study that, to break that apart. Um, here's a question, Thomas, that is about questions at the end of back cover copy. A lot of times you'll, you'll get the question, will Billy and Sally get together or will, you know, her dad push them apart? And, and I'm somebody, I hate that question at the end. A lot of people love them and I see them on a lot of novels. I am not a fan of that because I'm going to go, well, of course they're going to get together. We, we all don't, we know that don't, don't spoil the surprise for me. How do you feel about questions at the end of back cover copy? It can work, but often I think it's an indication of lazy writing. It's the easiest thing to do, and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the right thing to do. I think that it can be used effectively, so I'm not ready to say never put questions in your title. But often they're kind of like Woody's Roundup, if you remember from Toy Story 2. <laughs> you know, Woody's Roundup, and he's, you know, he's racing to Prospector Pete, and he jumps over the chasm, and it's like, will Woody survive and, get, and rescue <laughs> you know, Prospector Pete? And, and it's like, oh, my goodness. This is... And, if you're, it, it just it makes it too dumb. It's, it's if you're writing for children, that that could work, or in certain circumstances it could work. But you have to be really careful not to be the like, 
you know, mystery theater guy. It's like, tune in next time to find out. You know, that's, <laughs> that's, not, the, that's not the feel I suspect you want for your book, uh, at least for most of you. That's a great point. Um, this is something that we probably don't need to say, but let's just say it anyway. Avoid the cliched copy. A life-changing book or summoned out of our world. A race against the clock. A hard-boiled detective. Those things have been used so much that they have become cliche. And and you'll see them on best-selling books. They're, they're put in there, but... Uh, to reference Thomas's comment a, a few seconds ago, that's lazy writing. Watch out for those cliches that have been used over and over again. Another thing you want to avoid is typos. Uh, this is where you want to have as many eyes as possible because if you have typos on your back cover copy, this isn't a negative review that you get. It's no sale at all. This, is re this really costs you money. So make sure that you don't just have an editor, but you also have a proofreader looking over the typeset version of your back cover copy. So you have Watchmen on the Watchers, so to speak, uh, to make sure there's zero typos. Because uh, I, I hear stories of people like, oh my gosh, if there was a typo in the blurb on Amazon, I'm never buying from this author. Yeah, yeah. That's a great point, Thomas. Uh couple more break up your back cover copy use headlines use bullet points and this is this is more for nonfiction than fiction um, but we know we have a lot of nonfiction listeners as well so make it uh, bullet points short paragraphs make it easy to read open and white space makes it easier to read you hear this advice a lot on on blog posts same thing in back cover copy don't jam it all together in one um, one long run on paragraph in fact this is one of the ways that you can spot a self-published book that's been very poorly done is that often they have too much back cover text and the text fills the whole back cover. There's no <laughs> negative right. space. You got to have that white space. Uh, you have to have some area on the back of your book with nothing in it, believe it or not. And not too much. It needs to be well done. But you can't just squeeze every single pixel is another letter. That's not going to look good. And just a reminder, the last sentence of your back cover copy, just like the last sentence in you know every chapter, the last sentence in your book, uh, it makes the want reader want more. It's showbiz, right? Always leave the audience wanting more. So they have to flip, uh, open the book, and read that first sentence. And if that's done well, then odds are you're going to sell a lot more books. And one final point, avoid passive voice in your back cover copy. <laughs> so there may be times you can get away with passive voice in your you know, writing, but you need these sentences to be very, very tight uh, with no extraneous words. And that's how you're able to say, if you go back and look at that you know, Harry Potter example, every single one of those sentences, there's not a single wasted word. <laughs> there's not a single word that could be cut. Like they got it down to its core. That's essence. right. That's right. So the sponsor of today's episode of Novel Marketing is brought to you by My Book Table. Now, the price on My Book Table, I think it's a fantastic price. Thomas, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, the core version free? of the plugin free? is free. Thomas, did you say free? Uh, yeah. Okay, that is a great price. I was actually just working on a website earlier today and using My Book Table, and it is very, very robust in what it can do. And and uh, one of the neat things you can import books from Amazon. So I was, you know, putting together a site for somebody who had, you know, over a dozen books. And instead of having to create each book page by hand, I connected it to Amazon and I just pasted in the ISBN numbers and the AISN numbers uh, for the ones that were just eBooks, and it pulled in the back cover copy, the back uh, the cover 
and the author, if there's multiple authors, it pulled all of those in and it built all of the pages for me in about 30 seconds. So connecting with Amazon took a little bit of work. I had to get an API key from Amazon, but that was free. And once that was done, it all came over and it was, and then I was, you know, more or less done. I just tweaked the pages at that point. It's, it's a really great experience. And if you're wanting to take your um, website to the next level and make it more effective at selling books, go to mybooktable.com to try it out. And remember, if you have a question for us, shoot it our way. We'll either write back to you directly or we might end up using your question for our next Q&A extravaganza. You've been listening to the Novel Marketing Podcast with Thomas Umstead Jr. and James L. Rubart, giving you novel marketing ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing online, offline, and everywhere in between. Thanks for listening. <laughs>